which I'm uh, reading this morning is uh, from the book of Psalms, Psalm 40, and you'll find that Psalm on page 566 of your pure Bibles, page 566, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. No one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord, May your love and your truth always protect me, for troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, the Lord be exalted. Yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. O oh, my God, 
do not delay. Amen. Father, those words are so easy to say and so easy to sing, but we acknowledge that we we can only truly trust you when you grant us grace to be free to trust you, Father. We can only really trust you when your Spirit enables us and empowers us to trust you. So we come before you mindful of our weakness and our frailty and our fickleness. Uh, We come to you asking that you would help us to do that which we have promised we will do. Help us, Father, in the joys and in the sorrows of life to trust you and to give you our all. And to that end, Father, we ask that we would know your nearness, that we would hear your voice as we sit under the authority of your word together. Come, Father, and speak to your people for the glory of your name and for our joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's the first day of, the first Lord's Day of 2018. 2018 is, what, seven days old today. I wonder how many new years there have been between the time that David wrote Psalm 40 and today. A lot of new years have passed since then, and yet the psalm is as relevant to us today as it was when the ink was still wet from David's pen. And that is true with all of the Psalms. They are wonderfully relevant gifts to God's people. There are lessons to be learned and strength to be found in the Psalms. Such a blessing. When it comes to human emotions and human relationships, uh, there is nothing new under the sun. Thousands of years may have passed, and yet these words are so true and so real and so relevant, and there is so much to be gleaned and so much to be gained from spending time together in the Psalms. So here in Psalm 40, we meet David in the midst of a mess. Sometimes the Psalm, you know, before you get to verse 1, tells you the occasion uh, that, that uh, caused it to be written. But that's not the case for Psalm 40. We don't know what trouble David is in, but we know he is in trouble. We know he is in the midst of a mess. And uh, we ought to be able to learn from the example that he sets before us in this psalm. It doesn't really matter the exact circumstances of the mess that David finds himself within. What does matter is how David feels and what David does, what David says, and who, most importantly of all, who David's God is. 
And that's what we're going to turn our attention to. So we spend maybe a couple of weeks in Psalm 40 together. David is king by this point. I think we can say that with some confidence because there are people clearly who want to take his life. Uh, so you'll be able to, uh, to read of that towards the end of the psalm. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me, O Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. So I think we can say with some confidence David is king. And yet David, for all he is king, regards himself as one who is poor and needy. Verse 17, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. He recognizes that he does not have the strength or the reserves or the resources to rescue himself. He may be king, he may have a crown on his head, he may have an army, but he does not have the strength or the reserves or the resources to get himself out of this mess that he finds himself in. And actually that is a good place to be. It's when we know our needs that we turn to our God. And it's when we know that we are weak that we are wise see that we do not have the strength to save ourselves. It is that then that we turn to our God in humility and in awe and in reverence. And we ask Him, mindful of the love that He has for us, to do what we cannot do and to rescue us. So the first thing that David does is to remember. We've been thinking at the, the children's talk of the importance of remembering. That's the first thing that David does in the midst of this trying time, in the midst of this mess that he finds himself in, in the midst of this slimy pit, the mud and the mire. He, he remembers that he's been here before. And God has been pleased to rescue him. Verses 1 to 5. He starts by saying, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord. He reminds himself that this deliverance he has experienced in the past didn't come right away. He had to wait patiently. The Hebrew says, literally, I waited, waited. And when a Hebrew word is, is repeated like that, it's, it's repeated for emphasis. I waited, waited. So when we turn to uh, Isaiah 26, for example, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. That perfect peace is shalom, shalom. Not just peace, not just shalom, but perfect peace. Shalom, shalom. And so David says that he didn't just wait for the Lord. 
he waited, waited. So the NIV translates that, he waited patiently. That's true. Could be he waited painfully. He really had to wait for the Lord to come and to deliver him from this mess, from this trouble. Tim Keller says that kind of waiting can indeed be long and excruciating, but finally it leads us to a new song of praise to God, that's verse 3, and to joy, that's verse 4. I'll go on with, with this quote from Tim Keller. He says, Servants waiting on a great Lord are not twiddling their thumbs, but watching every expression and gesture to discern their master's will. Waiting on God then is to be busy in service to God and to others, all in full acceptance of His wisdom and His time. He waited, waited. He waited patiently. He waited painfully for the Lord to deliver him. And the Lord, at just the right time, acted, acted. So let's not focus so much on on David and what David did. Let's focus on the Lord that David presents to us, the Lord that delivered David. David says that he turned to me, that God would notice the plight of people is completely amazing. He turned to me. Now, I, I rarely speak about football from up here because I never want to get myself into trouble. I know we have two Dundee United fans, a Dumbarton fan, we have a few Celtic fans, uh, we maybe even have an odd Airdrie fan, or a few odd Airdrie fans maybe, in the, in the congregation. So I never want to get myself into to trouble by talking about football, but I, I allow myself a wee small quota of football illustrations every year. So the, the slate has been wiped clean, and I'm, I'm using my first one. I trust you'll, you'll forgive me for talking about football, and not just about football, for talking about Rangers. Uh, when I was young, for a time, I'm not sure why this was, I can't remember appropriately enough, um, but for a time, Rangers trained in uh, Bella Houston Park, which is close to where I was brought up. And so myself and my wee brother, Scott, and a few other people, a few other children would go along and we would watch them train. Totally amazing. We'd just stand and watch these players train. And once they had finished training, they allowed us to go up to them and to take a few photographs and to get their autographs and bits of paper and wee books that we carried with us. And we were completely amazed by this, that these footballers who knew what it was to put on a Rangers top and to run out at Ibrox and to play for these professional, international, hard to believe I know, but in those days Rangers had lots of international footballers, professional international footballers 
would take a moment to turn their attention to us and to sign our wee bits of paper. It was completely amazing. And we'd run home, and I'd, I'd get down with my bits of paper and these uh, scrawls, and I'd remember for a short time who had scrawled what, and I would write underneath in kind of block capitals, you know, Mark Haley or whoever it was, all the names, so that I would remember whose signature belonged to who. And I remember we'd signed Nigel Spackman, who's a name that maybe one or two of you will remember. It was a big deal at the time that we'd signed Nigel Spackman. And as he was signing his autograph on my wee pad of paper, a bead of sweat dropped onto the, the pad. And when I got home, you could still see this wee stain that had been left by, by the, the sweat of Nigel Spackman. I was amazed at this. And I drew a wee line, and I put a circle around the bead of sweat, and I put in brackets, Nigel Spackman's sweat. <laughs> that is how amazing it was to me that <coughs> Nigel Spackman and these professional footballers had taken a moment to turn their attention to us, to me, just for a moment. It was incredible to me, absolutely amazing, totally wonderful. And then I got older, and uh, I'm not a fan of, of kind of celebrity preachers. It's quite an unhelpful and an unhealthy thing. But nevertheless, my favorite preacher was, and maybe still is, uh, John Piper. And John Piper came to Glasgow one year and uh, preached at the Tron in Glasgow. And I got along to hear John Piper. And uh, when he did that thing that, that preachers do, you know, kind of marked out the congregation in front of him and he would pan so he would have someone to his far left, like Christine, and someone to his far right, like Tom, and then maybe someone straight down the middle. And I was a person who was to the extreme left. So as he panned to the left, he would make eye contact with me. And it was amazing. And one, one time he said something quite kind of light-hearted, and I smiled, and he smiled. Can't be 100% sure, but I think it was in response to my smile that he smiled, and I was amazed. This is the, I have a friend, or I had a friend who called him the Spurgeon of our generation. Sat there thinking, the Spurgeon of our generation noticed me. That is amazing. Oh, to have someone that you look up to notice you. Do you see the, the sweetness of those words that we can so quickly gloss over? I waited patiently for the Lord, He turned to me. God. Almighty turned to David. There was an 18th century German author and pastor. I think he's only really remembered now because uh, Beethoven apparently was inspired by his writings, but he wrote a book on the providence of God as seen in nature. And I'm going to quote uh, from it, not in German, you'll be glad to hear. He says, is there anything in nature more proper to inspire us with sublime ideas of God than the sight of the celestial sky? Can we ever raise our eyes to heaven 
without having the most lively sense of the magnificence and greatness of Him who gave being to all things and who governs them with incomprehensible power, wisdom, and goodness. What are poor, miserable mortals, lost in the immensity of the creation, who crawl like insects on a grain of sand? What are we in comparison with those innumerable solar systems which contain so many vast globes within their circle? What are we, especially in comparison of the Creator of all these worlds, these suns and these skies? What are we? And yet, He notices us. He noticed David. He turned to David, and He will turn to you if you will come to Him in humility and call on His name. He sees you. He sees all that you are going through. He is not blind to you, nor is He blind to the battles that you are fighting or to the struggles that you are facing. He turned to me, and then more, David goes on, even more glorious than that, He heard my cry. Not only does He see but he hears the cries of his people. He hears the cry of David. Sometimes when we're in the mud and the mire of life, we can feel very alone. We might be surrounded by people. We might be surrounded even by friends or by family, and yet we feel all alone. Well, know this, know that the God who created and sustains the universe is the God who hears the cries of His people. Our prayers are precious in His sight. Moses says, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to Him? The Lord noticed David. He heard David's cry. We might say that God's eyes saw David, and God, God's ears heard his cry. That is wonderful. But we can go even further still. We can say that the heart of God was moved, and that the hand of God reached out to rescue, reached down to lift up, that is greater still. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. And not only that, verse 2, He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He doesn't just see. He cares. And he doesn't just care like, you know, we might say to someone who's struggling, I'm really sorry to hear that. He acts. He, he reaches down and rescues David. 
So as we look back at 2017, done and dusted, I wonder if there have been some slimy pits that the Lord has lifted you from and some solid rocks that He has placed you upon. Look back beyond 2017. Can you remember some times when God has seen and heard and reached and rescued you from trouble or from trials? Then make sure there is a hymn of praise in your mouth. A new song, or at least an old song which feels new as you remember the greatness of your God and how good God has been to you. That's verses 1 to 3, and then in verses uh, 4 to 5, David does indeed praise the Lord for who He is and for what He has done. Then we come to verses 6 to 8, and in particular, verse 6. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. What does that mean? What does that mean? Remember, Scripture and the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, is, is filled with instructions as to how God's people are to offer these sacrifices. And yet David says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did, you did not require. Well, I think verse 8 helps us to see what David means. Flowing from this deliverance from God, David is able to say, I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. So he has moved from a kind of dutiful service to God, religious rituals and rites performed because that's what's supposed to be done, to instead serving God from a place of gratitude, from a, a place of joyfulness. We've moved from duty to delight. He desires to do God's will. God's law is within his heart. And God is his God. So, David has moved from a place of religious rituals and rites remembering that he ought to obey the Word of God because it's a joy to do so, given how good God has been to him, and because he is in relationship with this God. He refers to God as my God. What God has always wanted, what has always been the goal, is obedience and joyful obedience. Joyful obedience and real relationship. 
The sacrifices of the old covenant were only ever meant to do two things. Firstly, they were meant to show the people of God the seriousness of their sin. God never desired to see uh, these sacrifices made, but they had to be made in order to show the people of God how serious their sin actually was. So, as this thick crimson red blood flowed from these uh, precious, valuable animals without blemish, the people would recognize that their sin is a big thing, that it matters that their sin was against God and it could not be treated lightly. It's no small matter. God never desired the sacrifice of bulls or goats, but people had to see that their sin could not be treated lightly. But better than sacrifice is obedience, joyful obedience, flowing from the goodness of God. I desire to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. Do you see the progression in the psalm? He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Rescue leads to praise. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Then the praise itself, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man or woman who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. No one can recount to you were I to speak and tell of them. They would be too many to declare. And then from this joyful place of praise and relationship, fellowship with God, we have the desire of David that he would honor the Lord, that he would live in right relationship to God. He sees that that's what God wants, that God wants obedience, joyful obedience, grateful obedience in response to who he is and in response to what God has, has done. His desire is that He would be our God and that we would be His people. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears, ears you have pierced. It's like, not like an earring, it's like unclogged. So he, he now hears what God is saying. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. I desire to do your will, my God, your law is within my heart. So the sacrifices of the old covenant point to the seriousness of sin. Sin leads to death, but they also pointed to the Savior who was to come. So Hebrews chapter 10 picks up Psalm 40 and quotes it, and then it says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away Sins. These sacrifices were only ever a shadow that pointed to the reality. 
to the one sacrifice that truly counted. All of the sacrifices under the old covenant were like IOU notes, which were paid off by the Lord Jesus Christ as He died for us on the cross. The sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Lamb without blemish, without sin, who died on the cross for His people. Why? To rescue us from our sins, from our slavery to sin and the fruit of sin, which is death. Humanity waited. We might say humanity waited, waited, generation upon generation for the Lord, enslaved by our sin. And then, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He turned towards us. He noticed us, the God who created and sustained the universe, eternal, glorious, holy, holy, holy God, the Lord God Almighty. That God saw us, and not only did He see us, He sought us. He heard our cries. He reached down in love in Christ to seek and to save that which was lost, to lift us out of the mud and the mire of our own sin, to wash us clean and to place us down on the rock that is Christ Jesus. He saw us, He sought us, He saved us, assuming you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, assuming He is your Lord, He saw you, He sought you, and He saved you. And now flowing from that supreme act of love, flowing from the rescue, the salvation of God, we are called to be a people of praise, a people who honor Him, a people who serve Him joyfully. We are called to have the law of God in our hearts now, to know God as our God, to know God as our Father, and to joyfully serve Him and praise Him. It would be good if a new year brought a clean slate in many ways, but the reality is all of us will bring some stuff from the old year into the new year that we would rather not have to deal with. All of us will bring some problems, some struggles, some stuff into this new year. Maybe now a weekend we are beginning to remember, you know, some of these things. We're beginning to think, oh no, there are problems I have to deal with. We're beginning to think I'm in the mud in the mire, trying to trudge my way through, and it is not easy. Well, remember how He has turned to you 
and heard your cry and lifted you out of the slimy pit in the past and put your feet on a solid rock. Remember and rejoice. We'll come back to this psalm soon to, to look at the second half of the psalm, but this week it's very simple. Remember and rejoice in the deliverance of God and be assured that this never-changing God will deliver you again. You may have to wait, wait, for longer than you would like. You may even have to wait, wait, till that day when Christ comes again for full deliverance. But He will continue to show Himself faithful to His people and to His promises. And we rejoice in that and in the great deliverance that every believer has experienced as we prepare to stand and sing, Love Lifted Me. But just before